one of the plaintiffs. Well, we did have a good time Friday afternoon over there. Uh, no, it was Monday, wasn't it? No, it's Monday. <laughs> we had a good time Friday too. So. But it, uh, and they did seem to appreciate it, and it was a good time. And we would encourage you to come on and join the choir. Uh, as she just said, we're work, beginning to work on the Chris, on the uh, Easter musical, and Easter's not that far away. Next month, this coming Friday is March first, isn't it? This coming Friday, isn't that right? I was just checking to make sure y'all knew. <laughs> anyway, but we did have a good time. We appreciate uh, Scott Lyon. Did you want to say something, Scott, or you, you finished saying? Or do you need you may give you the keys so you can lock up when we're through? <laughs> if you will, get your Bible and turn with you to Matthew chapter, tw- chapter 8, verses 20 through 27. We'll be there in just a moment. I think one of the hardest jobs would be to, be, to forecast the weather nowadays. Because it changes every day. I heard the story about a Native American chief on a remote reservation in South Dakota whose tribe asked him if it was going to be a cold winter that year. He didn't want them to know that he couldn't predict the weather. So he sneaked away and called the National Weather Service. The, weather for- the forecaster said, we're fairly certain that it's going to be a cold winter. So the chief went back and told the others to collect a lot of firewood for a cold winter. A few weeks later, he called back and asked the forecaster again. This time, the forecaster said, we are more certain now that it's going to be a very cold winter. So the chief went back and told the tribe to collect a lot more firewood because it's going to be a long winter. A few weeks after that, the chief called the forecaster again and asked about the winter. The winter. The weather forecaster said, we're now certain that this will be one of the coldest winters we've ever seen. The chief says, how can you be so sure? The forecaster said, because the Indians are collecting firewood like crazy. (laughs) In our text today, Jesus and his disciples get on a boat and found themselves in the middle of a terrible storm. If there had been weather forecasters back then, they might have suggested don't take that trip or that journey. Instead, Jesus used this as an opportunity to perform a mighty miracle. Storms can be extremely scary sometimes, especially if you're in a boat. On October 26, 1991, the Andrea Gale, a 72-foot fishing boat, was in the North Atlantic Sea, the sixth man crew had been fishing for swordfish, swordfish, and the ship was attempting to, attempting to return to its port in Gloucester, Massachusetts. And yes, I probably mispronounced that. <clears throat> when a rare combination of weather systems came together in the North Atlantic to form what was later dubbed the perfect storm by the author of Sebastian Junger, A weather satellite image taken on October 30th shows the remnants of Hurricane Grace swirling together with a polar air mass charging down from Canada. The result was an explosive storm with recorded winds in excess of 150 miles an hour and the largest waves that have ever been recorded. The waves crested at the height of a 10-story building building with pressure of six tons per square foot of water. The Andrea Gale 
really never had a chance against that monster storm. The last recorded transmission, radio transmission, from the captain was this. She's coming on, boys, and she's coming on strong. To, be, to the terrified crew, it wasn't the perfect storm. It was a deadly storm. The story of an Andrea Gale and the perfect storm became the basis for Junger's movie, uh, book and later a movie by the same name. I can only imagine the feeling of the dread as they felt as they watched that howling wind coming toward them out on the sea. Nowhere they could go. They couldn't get out of the boat because it's too far to swim. I mean, they were in a predicament, to say the least. I can only imagine what they must have been thinking. They're just a seven-person crew, but still, they knew it's very likely the end's going to come. As they watched those howling wind and huge waves building against their small ship comparatively, Today, you may be struggling right now because difficult circumstances and unfavorable situations that have come together in your life. Maybe you've been through a sickness. Maybe somebody you know has been through a sickness. Maybe there's been a divorce. Maybe there's been a death in your family. Many things could have happened. Whatever it is, but rather than talk about the perfect storm, I want to talk about the perfect storm calmer. His name is Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 through 27. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with me as we read this story together. Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. Now, when he got into a boat, the disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose, the, arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here this morning. Lord, we thank you for the music we've had and the songs I've been saying. And Lord, just the feel of your presence among us is the most important thing. We just ask that you would take the rest of this service, Lord, and use it for your glory. Lord, that we not gain a spicken of the, of the glory, but Lord, you receive all. We're here to worship you and to you only. And all these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever been outside when suddenly the air got real still? And you just knew something was fixing to happen. It's almost as if the birds stopped singing. And they fly for cover. They know something's coming. I remember as a young man growing up, uh, up north of Fort Worth and northwest of Fort Worth, and, and we had horses. And you could tell that something was on. Well, now, I couldn't, but my dad could always tell when something's going on because the horses were acting crazy. They were just doing something different. I don't know what they were doing. Probably trying to get in the barn. I don't know. But, it's, but they, were, they were just acting different. And I remember him saying many times, we're fixing to have a storm a little bit. And he could tell by the way they were acting that something's going on. Something's coming in, perhaps. That, you can see the sky getting dark, and you can even begin to smell the rain as it approaches. That experience is the basis for the old saying. It's just the calm before the storm. But I want to change this morning. But 
let me add first this. There is actually some scientific truth to that statement, to that saying, because meteorologists report that as a cell starts building, strong updrafts inside the cell create what is looked like a vacuum, a feel like it. And so that gives the quiet, the solemnness, if you will, the calmness that's taking place. Even though the storm is building at the moment, getting ready to crash down, it almost gives you that sense that it's a peaceful time, that nothing's going to happen. But that's the calm before the storm. This morning we're talking about the storm before the calm. It's a whole lot different than what they faced here. That saying has come to mean before the storm erupts, there's a quietness a lot of times. There's a stillness a lot of times. There may be movement of clouds that you see and you think something's going on. I don't know what's fixing to happen, but something's fixing to strike. On those rare occasions when life seems to be calm and peaceful, some people are so negative they say, this is just the calm before the storm. And probably every one of us, maybe not have said it, but have thought it. We're in my life now and we've had this, all this trouble and so forth and it's fixing to come again. It's just the time, the calm before the storm hits again because they're expecting it to. It's just the calm before the storm. They expect their situation, in other words, to get worse as they go on in life. And guess what? It usually does in that situation. Do you find yourself living in fear that things are going to go from bad to worse in our lifetimes? You ever been there? You don't have to raise your hands because I think every one of us have at some point or another. If that's the case, then... Instead of living that way, I hope that this passage, this message, can help you change your attitude so you'll start expecting miracles. Yes, I said those words. So you'll start expecting miracles when things happen. <coughs> then you can say, this is just the storm before the calm. In this miracle, there are at least five life-changing lessons we can learn five lessons that we can learn this morning from this passage number one storms rage even when jesus is in the boat with you did you get that sometimes storms come even when jesus is right there with you that's exactly what happened in this passage we just read matthew 8 23 and 24 says now when he got into a boat his disciples followed him and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with waves. That's the storm. But here's the calm. But he was asleep in the boat. Now, I don't know how you sleep in a boat with it rocking like that, but I'm not Jesus, so I don't have to worry about it. But it's the Sea of Galilee, now I'm told this, and it's what I can read from it, actually is a beautiful freshwater lake six miles wide and 14 miles long about 600 feet below sea level. It's the lowest lake on the planet. It's surrounded by tall mountains which can act like a funnel and if a storm can roll in with the amazing ferociousness, I guess you could say, of a storm coming up on this sea. Mark tells us this journey was taken at night. Now that even makes it worse. Now, I've only been in a few boats because most fishermen don't like me because I throw rocks in the water and things. But it's, uh, so I haven't been fishing too many times and really don't have a desire to. 
It just, I'd rather go down the store and buy my fish at Walmart or wherever. But it's, uh, Mark tells us that this journey was taken at night. Can you imagine as a storm, and this must have been a pretty ferocious storm, as they get out in the water, they're away from shore, they're not close enough to swim back or things like this, and all of a sudden this tremendous thunderstorm breaks out. Can you imagine the fear that must have gone through those people? He tells us this journey was taken at night. So with no light, no stars by which they could steer, it had to be a frightening experience. Some Christians make the mistake of thinking that just because they have found the Lord in their life that they will be immune to trouble, to tribulation, and problems. There's a good Greek word for that. It's called baloney. In fact, I would safely say if you just became a Christian, get ready. You're fixing to battle number one very shortly. And that's just the way life is. And God's got a purpose for that. We're not going to get into that today, but it, it's, it's the way that he grows us. Even though Jesus was in that boat, the storm still struck. So don't think that you're immune from problems. In fact, I checked the statistic last week that one out of one people will die. One out of one of us are going to die. Every one of us sooner or later, if God tarries long enough, are going to die. Now, that's not a comforting thought to many people, but it's still the fact. Just because you find yourself in a storm doesn't mean that God doesn't love you or that He's punishing you. I've had people say, well, what's God punishing you all for? Are you going through this trial? That doesn't mean anything. God may be taking that person, leading them through a challenge so they can grow and be ready for the next experiences. Jesus led the disciples into the storm to teach them to trust Him. So don't be surprised when you face storms in life. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. He said, don't be surprised when they come. That's a purpose for us. Now, none of us like storms in our lives, but yet... If we'll listen to what God's saying, He can grow us through the storms faster than He could ever grow us anywhere else. Because that's where He gets our attention. God knows how to get our attention. And you may be in the storm right now, and you may say, I don't understand why God's doing this to me. I try to come to church at least once every year, and just, just uh, you know, I, I do the best I can. And God said, it's not the reason. I'm trying to grow you closer. So don't be surprised when the storms suddenly roll into your life. The second thing we see, storms create fears that cause more damage than the storm does. When the disciples cried out to Jesus, he said, Why are you fearful, O oh, you of little faith? The storm was in his hand. All he had to do was snap his finger, say the word, and the storm would have disappeared. But God had it there for a reason. And he's got the storm that maybe you're going through right now at this moment for a reason. I don't know what that reason is. I Hopefully I've understood the storms we've gone through, but yet sometimes I don't. I just know that God has taken us through this to grow us. The disciples were fighting two storms that night. The first was a visible storm on the outside. The other was the invisible storm of fear that was raging in their minds. Fear can cause more damage than the thing you fear itself. 
When Franklin D. Roosevelt delivered his first of our four, his first four inaugural addresses in 1933, the nation was in a grip of a thing called the Great Depression. I don't know if anybody in here went through that, but if you did, I honored you. But it's, uh, it was a very tough time from what I've told. Within the first minute of his speech, he said these words that we've heard many times before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. It will revive and will prosper. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. I've heard that parts of that at least used for years and years and some good words. And he's exactly right. The only thing we've got to do when we go through trials is not let fear overtake us. What's going to happen to me? What if I lose my life? Where are my kids going to go? What are they going to do? I mean, we can come up with a hundred questions that probably aren't going to happen if we would just trust God. I know I've told this story before, but the late Paul Harvey, I used to love to listen to Paul Harvey. Of course, he's dead now for a long time, but I know I've shared the story before, but just in case somebody's not here, I want to share it again. He used to tell the story about an Arkansas farmer who kept losing hens to a nocturnal predator. He suspected it was a fox, so one night he left his loaded shotgun beside his bed. When he heard a commotion in the hen house, he jumped out of bed, and wearing only his nightshirt, he grabbed a shotgun. As he approached the dark hen house, fear began to overtake him. He began to worry, what if this is a fox, a rabid fox, instead of just something else? What if it's a wildcat? He was literally shaking in fear as he approached that hen house. He paused to listen. At that very moment, his trusty hound dog, Blue, crept up silently behind his master and decided to show him some affection. <laughs> Old Blue stuck his cold nose underneath that nightshirt and cold nosed that farmer. Kaboom! Thirty hens lost their lives that night. Paul Harvey used to say, it wasn't the shotgun that killed those hens. It was the fear of the farmer. If you're fighting against a storm of fear, God has a word for you tonight. Look at Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What causes you to be afraid today? Well, I'm worried about losing my job. I'm worried about uh, getting behind on payments and losing my house. I'm worried about if we're out on the streets. I mean, we could name things for on and on and on for hours. And probably none of it's going to come true. Sure it could happen. You won't see him. You won't feel him. But he tells you not to be afraid because he is there. Fear is a bully. Most schools have bullies. Bullies. When I was in about the eighth or ninth grade, there was a bully at our school who kept taunting me and trying to get me to fight. I was afraid, so I kept running away. One day I just told myself, I've had enough. I have to face this bully. Not long after that, this bully chased after me, and I finally had enough courage to turn around and stop and say, Leave me alone. It worked. She didn't bother me anymore. 
The third thing we see, storms never make Jesus panic. When the storm was raging, do you know what Jesus was doing? He was sound asleep in the hull of the boat. He had gone down and taken a nap. The waves were crashing. The lightning lightning and thunder was going off. But he was sound asleep even with those waves. The waves were crashing in. The winds were howling. The disciples were stressed out. And Jesus was snoring away. Now, what do we learn from that little line in this passage? First of all, excuse me, humanity calls him to be so drained from dealing with people like you and I that he could sleep in a storm. But second, his divinity assured him that just because there was a storm, there was no need to panic because Jesus was right there. You can be certain of those two words that have never been heard in heaven. You'll never hear me say those, these words were spoken in heaven. Uh-oh. They don't happen. God has never and never will say, Hmm, I didn't see that one coming. I didn't understand that. Corey Tin Boom used to say, There is no panic in heaven, only plans. The key to having peace in the midst of the storm is found tr- in trusting Jesus, Period. He said in John 16, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Did you notice Jesus didn't say, With me you'll have peace. He said, In me you'll have peace. You will have peace if you're in Jesus Christ. The illustration that helps me Plain peace is to think about being in Christ in the same way that Noah was in the ark. Noah was inside that, Noah was inside that ark and he was secure. Had he have decided to open up the window one day and take a swim, I'm sure he would have perished. But he believed God in Christ. And that's why the ark is a picture of Jesus Christ. He was in Christ when he needed to be. Noah, his family, and the animals were safe in the ark when the ark was in the storm, in the middle of the storm. That's what it means for us to be in Jesus Christ. Jesus can sleep through a storm, and if you're in Christ, you can rest in the middle of one of your storms. And we all go through them. They may not be major things in our families, but it may be major things. And I'll assure you this, if you haven't gone through a storm recently, You're either going through one now or you're fixing to go through one because that's just the way life works. The fourth thing we see, storms force us to cry out to God for help. They could have remained, renamed that boat that they were in, the unsinkable Molly Brown, perhaps. But it began, now it didn't say it began to sink, but it was taken on water. It's a boat. Jesus has promised his followers that he'll make it through, we'll make it through every storm as well. Philippians 1 6 says, He who has begun a good work in you will complete the work. If the disciples had just trusted his word, they wouldn't have been afraid of drowning. Here's the lesson when Jesus is in your boat, you're going to make it to the other side. You remember what Jesus told these men as they began to go out? Let's go to the other side. Right there assured that nothing's going to stop them. 
because Jesus had already said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. Now, there were some little conflicts in between there, the, the corners of the lake. But the words of Jesus hold true. He had already said, we're going to the other side. Folks, that's the same thing he says for us. No matter what life may bring us, if you're a child of God, you're going to the other side one day. It doesn't matter what you're facing. Oh, but you don't understand the sickness we have in my family. You don't understand what we're going through. You don't understand where we're at. No, I don't. But the one that wrote this book does, and he's the one that said it. He says, if you're in me, we're going to the other side. If you don't hear anything else this morning, remember this. If Jesus is in your boat, you will make it to the other side. As I've gotten older, now I used to be a real warrior. I mean, I'm serious. You can ask Judy. When we were at different churches now, a lot of times I, the parsonage is right next door to the church, and I'd get up at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, and tell Judy, I've got to go over there. I've got to study. I'm not ready for my message tomorrow morning. And I'd sit over there, and boy, I'd just pour through it and pour through it and pour through it, and nothing ever changed. And finally, I had a friend of mine that said, all you need to do is quit worrying so much. And for some reason, I listened to him. Now, it took a long time. It didn't happen overnight. But I began to trust God more than worry. I was a worrier. I'm talking about a serious worrier. I would leave the house sometimes at 11 or 12 at night on, night on Saturday night, go over to the church, which was 100 feet away or so, and go in my office and just pour over things trying to, okay, why am I leaving out? What did I do wrong? How should I say this? And so forth. Because I was worried about making a mistake. But what this friend of mine told me was, you're going to make a mistake. You can count on it. But if it's God's message, it's still going to come through, regardless of what happens. God has proven His faithfulness to me, and I'm sure to you too, time and time again. Good, th good thing about storms is that the more you have of them, you survive, the more you're convinced that you become that, like God will take you through them, that God will carry you through it. What's that? What, when that's your attitude, you can even thank God for the storms that come in your life. And guess what? Again, you're going to have them. You're going to have them this year. Humanity caused him to be so drained dealing with people. Now think about it. This is Jesus. He had gone down to rest while the storms were going on, but he was asleep. Yes, he was drained from physically speaking and doing miracles and all the things that Jesus did. You can be certain that there are two words, again, that will never come up on God's lips. Uh-oh. The, the fifth thing. Storms force us to cry out to God for help. Again, it could have been like the unsinkable Molly Brown or even more recently the unsinkable Titanic. Oh, that nothing can sink this ship. I like to read books on the Titanic and the you know, horrificness of it and so forth. But I remember one time that's talking about that one man, one primary leader that built, helped build the ship, he made the comment, even God himself couldn't sink this ship. Guess what? He did. <laughs> Be careful when you challenge God in something like that. As Jesus promised his followers that we'll make it to the other side. 
no matter what you're facing today in your life, whether it's a family problem, financial problem, teenager problem, job problems, whatever it is, hear this. If Jesus is in your boat, you're going to make it to the other side. You will make it. Call upon the Lord, and He will deliver you from your troubles. Storms also still, storms still surrender to the power of Jesus today. The Bible simply says in Matthew 8, 26, Then He arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. I can imagine Jesus moving to the side of that little boat. The fierce wind is whipping His hair everywhere, His beard everywhere. The lightning's flashing, the thunder's crashing. Water from the pounding waves soaks the, His robe. Mark records Jesus using a word, a word a parent would use to reassure a child when he says, Hush now, just calm down to the winds. And the winds obeyed him. The storm vanished instantly. The Bible says then there was a great calm. I imagine Jesus laid back down and returned to his nap. I, I just, I, it doesn't say that, I'm just saying it. But I just imagined he was tired. He was still tired. And he, that didn't take much effort. He just went back to bed and slept the rest of the night. Of course, every storm eventually ends. Some perhaps gradually. The point of this miracle was the suddenness of the calm. There was the instantaneous tranquility. In a flash, the wind and the rain was gone and the water raging beneath the disciples and the pounding of their hearts and there was another sound, the sound of the 12 jaws dropping of those disciples. I imagine they just, their jaw dropped to the floor. Did we just see what he did? In Matthew chapter 8, verse 27, the disciples asked this question, Who can this be? That's a question each person must answer for themselves. Who is Jesus? If you believe He's the creator of the wind and the waves, then you can believe all that He has said and will say, hush to the storm in your life, if you'll let Him. You'll find the same calm that the disciples found. I've been in the ministry now for over 30 years, and I've seen many Christians go through times of pain and stress and heartbreak. Some have lost children. Some have lost husbands or wives. It's 30 years has covered a lot of people that I can look back on. That's exactly the kind of peace that God promises us. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Wow, that's comforting. Try it next time you go through something. Maybe you're having spousal problems. Maybe you're just not getting along the way it should. Try turning it over to Jesus and let him take care of the storm in your life. Have you ever noticed the secret police, secret service agents that surround the president? Of course, you won't really see them unless you just you happen to see them all run around toward him and so forth. Their job is to protect and guard him. In exactly the same way, God's peace can surround your mind, your body, and guard your life, your thought life even. The Secret Service agents are trained to prevent any attempts that threaten the life of the president. God's peace can also 
protect your mind from damaging thoughts, a fear that threatened to harm you. In the conclusion, in the midst of the storm, the disciples forgot Jesus had said, we are going to the other side. They heard him say it. They just didn't pay attention to it. Once Jesus said that, no devil, no demons, no armies of Caesars could have stopped them from getting to the other side. Several of the disciples were seasoned fishermen. They were professional fishermen, we can call them, who had grown up on this very lake. They probably did everything they could to survive the storm. They trimmed the sail. They turned the boat into the wind. They started bailing water. But finally they came to the P-O-T-D, the point of total desperation. And some of us need to come to that point too. They gave up and cried out, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. I love that simplicity of that prayer. They didn't use a lot of flowery words as sometimes you hear on TV and places. Oh, dear Lord, we find ourselves in a predicament that we need to get out of. Lord, as we come here tonight on this stormy evening, wouldst thou consider our plight? And I imagine Jesus says, what? <laughs> we would much rather avoid storms, but God allows storms to come in our life for reasons. Number one, I believe, is to teach us that he is powerful enough to calm the tornadoes of trouble in our lives. Most of us know this verse, Romans 10, 13, but listen to it because it's usually used in a different context than what I'm going to use it in. I'm going to use it in this context we're talking about today. But listen to Romans 10, 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It didn't say, well, you've got to be this type of person or this type of person. You've got to be a fisherman. No, you can't be a fisherman. You've got to be this or that. He says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says in Psalm 34, verse 17 and 18, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Do you qualify? Do you have a contrite spirit? Is your heart broken or do you have a contrite spirit? The overcoming attitude expressed in an old song by Andre Crouch. This is probably back 30 years ago, I guess, when he was popular. I'm sure you've heard the song before. You may not remember, but here's the words to it. I thank God for the mountains and I thank Him for the valleys. I thank Him for the storms He's brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem... I wouldn't know that God could solve them. I wouldn't know what faith in God could do. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon God's Word. So what is your perspective about life today? Do you expect things are going to get worse and worse in your life? If you expect that, it probably will. If you do, then your motto ought to be, this is just the calm before the storm. You can live driven by fear, but there's another way to live. You can live a life of faith that whatever happens, God is going to carry you through. When you're being tossed around in a storm of life, you can smile and say, this is just the storm before the calm. 
because you know that Jesus is fixing to come through if you'll let him. Let's stand together this morning. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for your time you've given us. And Lord, we just ask that you would just open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your word, not to me, not to mine, but the Lord's words that you wrote in this book and told this story and what the impact it can have on each one of our lives. And Lord, we just pray that you would let us take that as gospel as it is. And Lord, that we would put that in our heart. And next time we face trials and troubles, and we will face them if we tarry long enough, we can say, storm, get away from me in the name of Jesus. And we can be done. Thank you, Lord, for this time here this morning. As we sing this verse of invitation, Lord, this is your invitation. If there be anybody here in this room that needs to make a decision for you, then, Lord, we ask that they'd come forward this morning. Our deacons will be on the sides of the building. And, Lord, they'll be glad to talk to anyone that comes forward, whether it be for just for prayer needs, whether it be to join this church, whether it be to give their life to Christ, whatever it may be. Take this service at this moment. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.